I want to take you to a few passages in Scripture uh, tonight, and, and I want to start to teach. And, and what I really felt the Holy Ghost impressing on me is I, I want to pour some concrete into the foundation of your faith tonight and uh, just teach about this a little bit more. John chapter 13, I'm going to read from four different passages. John chapter 13 would be the first. So if you've got your Bible with you or you are able to pull it up on a device, turn to John chapter 13 with me. I'm going to read it from the New King James Version, uh, five or six verses. John chapter 13 beginning with verse 12, is the testimony of Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. So I'm going I'm to read some of the words of Jesus Christ, and then some of the words of Paul, and then some of the words of Peter, and then some of the words of John. And what I want to do in reading these four passages in, in rapid succession tonight is I want to form a composite picture of one theme, one thing that the scriptures teach us. John chapter 13, verse 12 says, so when Jesus had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, Jesus said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, I would turn your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1 says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. You're probably starting to see the theme that I'm going to run with tonight. The Apostle Peter wrote to the church in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. And the Apostle Peter echoes the words of Jesus and echoes the words of the Apostle Paul. And Peter writes, For to this you were called... Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Then the Apostle John, in 1 John chapter 2, adds his voice to this chorus of voices that are all essentially passing down the same message to us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, the Apostle John writes and says, He who says... He abides in Jesus, him, ought himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. I want to minister and teach for a little while on this Wednesday night. I, I, I don't know how to, I, I'm not, I don't try to make it more complicated or simple. I just try to receive what the Lord is, is wanting to give to me and that I'm supposed to communicate onward uh, to us, but this is, I couldn't get away from, from this, and this is where I, would, where I would focus our attention. You can be like Jesus. For someone, that's a revelation right now. Your self-esteem isn't going, doesn't, you feel like your self-esteem isn't going to permit you to entertain that notion. Your self-esteem is low. Your, the way you think of yourself isn't very, uh, you don't think of yourself very well. But I want to tell you tonight, you can be like Jesus. You can be like him. We have something very precious that's been handed down to us from the original eyewitness disciples. They have, in multiple places, you read the words of Jesus with me in John chapter 13. You read the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You read, read, wrote the, read the words of Simon Peter with me in 1 Peter chapter 2, and then we read the words of the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2, and they all essentially are saying the same thing in a different way. They're saying that Jesus has left us an example, and we can follow his example. That isn't a high-minded, a really lofty thing, that uh, a standard that none of us can ever hope to ever get close to aspiring to, but it's the, 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 the voice of 
Jesus and the voice of his apostles, the eyewitnesses, the originals, that first generation of Christians writing down the generations to you and me today and affirming what we should know to be true, that we can be like Jesus. We ought to follow in his steps. We ought to do as he did. We ought to find the pattern of life that he lived. We ought to acknowledge that he is the way. And I'm going to use whatever days I have left in this life to find out what that way is, and I'm going to live it to the very best of my ability. I have a friend that's fond of this saying, and I want to know if you agree with it or not. If we were in youth class tonight and we all felt like getting up and moving, uh, I would say, if you believe believe what I'm about to say, go to this side of the room. And if you don't believe, if you don't completely agree with it, go to this side of the room. But I'm not going to make you do that because I don't want you to get angry with me. Because I know you're comfortable right now, and we've got very nice seats, and uh, it is not youth class, and you've worked all day, and, and we're here. So let me, just, let me just see if you agree with this. I'll float it, and we won't have to separate into different sides of the rooms or anything like that. Do you agree or disagree? How you do anything is how you do everything. I'm going to repeat it. How you do anything is how you do everything. Let me say it another way. The way a person does one thing is the way they do everything. Okay, I'm just going to let that. I've got a friend that believes that. I think I believe it mostly, that there's some strand of your DNA that's in every task you perform and the way you do even the most small, minute things. There's probably a kernel of truth And you can probably extract something from that very minute, small thing that you did and blow it up and probably discover a lot about how you do everything else. And I think there's some truth to that. I don't think I would agree 100%, and I wouldn't make not make room for exceptions. But I think we can all agree how you do something can be just as important as what you do. How you do something can be just as important as what you do. I'm teaching tonight about doing things Jesus' way. So when we say the word way, we, we talk about a couple different things. We talk about the way we go, the route we take, and the path that you're on. But we can also use the word way, and we can describe things like the way you talk. You understand the difference? The way you talk, the way you treat people the way you raise your children, the way you spend your money, the way you worship, the way you vote, the way you use your influence, the way you eat, the way you react. It's all about the how, isn't it? It's about how. The Jesus, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and probably the part of that that gets talked about the least is the way part. Because when we start to talk about the way, We get into the how. Truth is a what. Amen? I'm the way, the truth. Truth is a what. Truth is a series of propositional statements that are either true or false. It's what. But when we talk about the way, we move away from the dimension of what, and we start to move into the realm of how. And when we move into the realm of how, Sister Amy, What we're really getting into is the nuts and bolts of life. We start to get into where we actually live. And we start to be challenged by the words of Jesus and the teachings of the New Testament, the teachings of Scripture as a whole, about the how of our life, the mundane things, the ordinary things in our life, the way, as I said, the way we raise our children, the way we talk, the way we the way we use our influence, the way we vote, the way we treat our spouse. We start to get into the nuts and bolts and some of the very application-oriented, practical things of life. And many times when we start looking at our spiritual life, we will veer away from those things and we will seek out the more, the more emotional, the more Uh, the more intangible things, and we will stray away from the tangible, concrete, nuts and bolts, practical things of life 
that really get down to the how of how we're living for God. How Jesus' way is becoming my way. If we don't address that, we're just skipping like a rock across the surface of the gospel. And we're never really getting down into the, into the things of life and asking ourselves, how much of what I am doing is actually me following Jesus? It's a challenging way to think about things. And, and, and it's evident, this is evident in our popular culture. Have you, has anyone ever read, uh, uh, there's a book, it came out years ago. Uh, it's called In His Steps. And, yeah. I know there's a, all right, there's a couple. In His Steps. It's written by a guy named Charles Sheldon, I think. And uh, it is the book, it's a novel, and it is the book that uh, is the place where the famous phrase, what would Jesus do, came from. How many are familiar with that? Okay. M- most of us are familiar with that. There's a slogan, it really took off some years ago, and it originates in this book. This book is all about that question, and I'm not down in the book. It's, it's fine. I've read it, and it's, it's fine. But I, I, ha- I, I take, I, 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 would, I would pause and say that I don't think it goes far enough because it uses that word what. What would Jesus do? I think the better question for us is how would Jesus do it? How? Not what, but how. What's not the most helpful? But what we really need to ask is, how would Jesus do it? We sell ourselves short when we go for the what and we neglect the how. Because how, how is where you start to develop likeness. So let me give you an example. Let me stop before I give an example. We all want to be like Christ. Can we get 100% in the room? We want to be like Christ. How when we start to get into the how of our faith, that's where we start to really develop likeness. That's where we start to become like him. So let me give you an example. Um, I use this example sometimes, and it's completely hypothetical. Let's say that I had this desire um, to dunk a basketball like Michael Jordan. Okay? I, I use this example because it's ridiculous. And it is completely hypothetical and in the realm of fiction. Um, Let's say I see Michael Jordan doing it. I see Michael Jordan dunking a basketball. And I see him doing it and I want to do it. Brother Kurt, I want to do it. I've got this desire. I've got it. I want to do it. I want to do it like Mike. And Michael Jordan does what he does. He starts at the free throw line and he like jumps from the free throw line all the way to the hoop and dunks this basketball through the hoop. Now, what if... I say, I'm going, to, I'm going to do it like Michael Jordan, but I pull a ladder over to the hoop, Brother Jake, and I climb up the ladder, and I get on the ladder, and I dunk the basketball through the hoop. I've accomplished the what, but I haven't accomplished the how, have I? I haven't re- I'm not really doing it like Mike, am I? No, no. I mean, I, I probably get in on a technicality because, I mean, technically, I guess I did dunk a basketball through the hoop, but no one in the room, nobody in here is going to accept that I've done it how he does it, and no one is going to stand up and say, you know what, Brother Dustin's a lot like Michael Jordan in that regard. No one's going to do that. That's ridiculous. There's no way in which I'm like him except that I can hold a basketball with both hands. I can't hold it with one hand, right? Now, if I go, if I go, now we're still in the realm of fiction, but if I go and I train and I develop, Brother Ryan, my vertical jump, and I get to where I I can jump, I max out on my jump, like whatever my stature will allow, I max it out all the way, and I develop my vertical jump, and, jump, and I, I train my hand, and maybe I get to where I can palm a basketball in one hand because I've trained my hand muscles to be so strong that I can somehow do it, with the, I don't know, and, and I start to work on my hand-eye coordination to where I can make the jump and actually 
coordinate myself enough to actually put the ball through the hoop, and I can do all of that, I think then, again, we're still in, in fiction here, but bear with me. I think if all of those things happened, then we could say, I've done it how Michael Jordan does it, correct? And I would be able to have a t-shirt that says, I'm like Mike, you know, I'm, I'm a lot like Michael Jordan. Because, and, and that whole ridiculous example is only to reinforce the point. It's in the how that we develop likeness. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have somebody ask, what would Jesus do? And to, to take the approach and to survey their life and say, what would Jesus be doing? I'm more impressed and I'm more apt to say, let's ask ourselves, how would Jesus do it? How would Jesus do it? Because how is where you start to develop character and you start to develop likeness. Doing it how Jesus would do it matters. It matters. I'm talking tonight about you can be like Jesus. You can, and I'm, I'm trying to get down to the very, very fundamentals of how you can be like Jesus. It's in the how. It's in the how of life. How you actually can, how you raise your, I keep going back, how you raise your family, how you treat your spouse, how you work on your job, how, all of those things, all of those components form a composite and start to build in our identity as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, it doesn't matter, I I hope that your self-esteem will permit you to hear what I'm saying right now. You can be like Jesus. You can grow to be more like him. You don't have to be the way that you've always been. You don't have to be what the world has told you you have to be. You don't have to be what mom and dad say have, or your family members have always said you have to be. You can rise above any of that and you can be like Jesus. You can. And it's not by any power of your own. I said it happens in the how, but it's by the power of the Holy Ghost living and working in you That God will do a supernatural work through your desire to be more like him. He will make you like him. It's powerful. I know it's true because otherwise the apostles wouldn't have written like they did. Paul would never have been able to write, imitate me as I imitate Christ. If it were not possible for you to be like Jesus. The Bible doesn't contain any commands that are impossible for you to obey. Peter would have never been able to write the words and say, he left us us an example that you should follow in his steps. He would not have been able to write those words if it were impossible for you to actually follow in his steps and be like Jesus. You can be like Jesus. The Apostle John never would have been able to write the words that he wrote. And he says, you ought to walk just as he walked if it were completely impossible for you to do so. You can be like Jesus. And it's how you live. It matters. It mattered to the apostles and it should matter to us today. Let me talk to the person. I've I've already mentioned it, but let me talk to the person right now because I feel like there's more than one or two who feels like they don't think they're up to it. They're hearing the words of the preacher tonight. They're hearing me teaching and they're, they're seeing the words on the screen. You can be like Jesus and you are just unconvinced right now that you can be like Jesus. You don't think you're up to it. You're saying, I I don't know if I'm made up of the right spiritual stuff to do things how Jesus did them. I don't know if I'm made up of the right, I don't know if I can actually be a real disciple in every sense of the word. Let me take a few minutes tonight and debunk a myth. A myth that I, I think is the biggest deception of being a disciple. And it's the myth of, uh, of, of the lay person. That the person that says, you know what, I'm not in leadership of the church. I, I, I'm not in leadership. I don't feel like I have a speaking gift to offer the church. Uh, I don't do any of those things. And so I'm just, I'm just in this other category of just normal people uh, that I don't feel like I can really have those high spiritual aspirations to really be like Jesus. And that is the num- that is the biggest deception of discipleship that I think the adversary has ever thrown our way because he uses it to try to convince 98% of the church that they can't really be like Jesus. 
that the way of Jesus isn't really something that you can actually live and integrate into your life. And when someone says something like that, when someone says, ah, I'm, I'm just, I'm a lay person, I'm not a leader in the church, I'm, I, I don't have a speaking gift, I, I, can't, I can't do some of the things that I see others doing, it's usually, when I hear it, I hear the same voice as Moses, when Moses said, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh? I hear the same voice when I, that I hear when I read the words of Jeremiah, when God is, is calling Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says, but God, I'm just a boy. I'm too young. That kind of stuff is nonsense. It's a myth. It's an invention of the adversary to hold 98% of born-again people hostage and to convince them slowly over time that I can't really be like Jesus. The adversary, hear me right now, the adversary wants to spiritually disable you. Can I say it just like that? The adversary, the adversary understands how powerful Jesus is. And the adversary will pull out all the stops to convince as many people as possible that they can't be like Jesus. Because if there are a bunch of Jesus people roaming the streets, Satan's got a problem. But if Satan can isolate it to just a few people that actually believe they can be like Jesus, he'll, he'll take that deal. He'll take those odds. I'm telling you today, you can be like Jesus. I'm telling you that today, and I know what I'm doing. I've said it before, teaching is spiritual warfare. And right now, I know exactly, I'm conducting spiritual warfare because there is a stronghold of the adversary that's set up in the minds of many people that he has tried to convince that you can't be like Jesus, you can't advance in your walk with God, you can't operate in the gifts of the Spirit that we taught about a couple months ago, you can't, you can't really ever change. You're always going to be that same person that you've always been. The adversary has developed a stronghold in the minds of many, many, many born-again people. And what I am doing right now is conducting spiritual warfare against the adversary and trying to help somebody break free of that stronghold that the adversary has set up in your life. Because if, we, if you can break free of that lie of the adversary... There will be a power of God that starts to move through your life that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. I said the gates of hell can, will not prevail against the church. It will not prevail against the church. And when born again people can break away from the lie of the adversary that has hold them hostage and the stronghold of the enemy that's present in their mind and they will open their understanding and and they can realize everything that's available to them. Do you know what the, spirit, what the biblical vocabulary for us is? You're a person of God. The scripture says it time and time again. The scripture does not relegate anybody to a second class or a third class of believer. You're a person of God. God wants to use the entire body to minister to this world. He wants to use every member of the church in spiritual gifts in powerful things in the Holy Ghost, in prayer ministry, in speaking gifts, in Bibles, everything that you can imagine, God wants to do through you. And it starts at ground zero of that stronghold that we must break through and understand that you can be like Him. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. More Bible vocabulary for identity. It says you're a royal priesthood. There's not, there's not just one class of people that get to be like Jesus and, and they're called and they're chosen and they're spiritually gifted and this and that and the other. But 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 is speaking about the entire people of God and says you are a chosen generation, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's not talking about a minority, that's talking about everybody. 
You can be like Jesus. You are out of a royal lineage. You are part of a royal priesthood. You are a chosen people. You are a gifted people. And you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, the Most High God. And there is no limit to what he wants to do in your life if we will break free of that lie of the adversary that would try to convince us that you can't be like Jesus. You can be like Jesus. You can be like Jesus. Discipleship is accessible to everybody. To everybody. If you would be like Jesus, you must do this what Jesus did, and he rejected other ways. He said, I am the way. But just like Jesus, Jesus had other ways presented to him. And we will always have other ways presented to us. We will always have other ways presented to us. You know, you know one, of the, one of the places where there were alternative ways presented to Jesus? It was in Matthew chapter 4 when Satan confronted him in the wilderness. There's three temptations that Satan presents Jesus within the wilderness. And I think they're, they're archetypes. They're, they're things that we can look at and we can say, you know what, I wasn't there. Uh, and, and I've never been tempted to turn stones into bread. But I can see that Satan is doing something that is transferable to my life. Now, I want to look at them together because I think that these are things that we also have to reject that are going to be presented to each of us. The first, if, if, if you've got your Bible, turn open to Matthew chapter 4. I'm not going to read the entire chapter and the entire account, but I'm going to summarize and, and jump around a little bit. Matthew chapter 4 tells us Jesus is in the wilderness. He's been there for 40 days, and after 40 days, Satan comes. Satan comes to visit Jesus in the wilderness and presents temptations to Jesus. I want to pause because I always like to say this when I go to Matthew 4. Temptation is not the same thing as sin. I, I never miss an opportunity to call out the distinction. Temptation is not the same thing as sin. Just because you're tempted does not mean you need to agonize over it and condemn yourself over it. It is not as though you have actually committed the act. Now, if you have committed the act, it is sin. But to be tempted alone is not sin. I know that because they're two different words first. But I know that because Jesus himself, who the Bible testifies was without sin, he himself was tempted. Matthew chapter 4, the first temptation that Satan brings to Jesus, Jesus is hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days. And Satan says, hey, there's a couple stones over there, Jesus. Why don't you speak to them and turn them into bread? And the temptation there, I'm ta we're, we're talking about the ways that Jesus is the way. The temptation there. Jesus is on the right way, and Satan presents this alternative to Jesus and says, why don't you just take a shortcut, Jesus? Think of it like this. He's asking Jesus to impose his will on the rocks. They're just rocks, minding their own business. And Satan is suggesting that Jesus impose his will on these stones and turn them into bread. Now, if there's something you need to know about God, it's this. God doesn't impose his will on anybody. It's not his character, and it's not how he does things. Get back to the how. It's not how God does things. It's not the way Jesus does things. And so when Satan presents this temptation, Jesus, you need to take the shortcut. Jesus, why don't you impose your will on the situation? What it is, is it's the alternative of commodity. It's the commodity alternative. It, what, it, what it is, is it sends someone down the road that says, God's purpose is to meet my needs. This is the way that we need to reject. God's purpose is to meet my needs. That, that God and God's power is a commodity to be sold and traded in a religious marketplace. And Satan's setup is here. Satan's setup is Jesus, follow Jesus, and then use Jesus to fulfill your needs. We can't live for God that way. That's the wrong way. That's the way that must be rejected. That's not the Jesus way. The second temptation that Satan presents to Jesus, he says, Jesus, why don't you go on? He takes him to the top of the temple and says, why don't you go to the top of the temple 
and jump off of the top, the pinnacle, the very top of the temple. Why don't you jump off and let the angels swoop down and save you, Jesus? And this was the temptation for Jesus to do something spectacular, to put on a circus of the miraculous and to impress people at street level, but never actually interact with them as people. This is the entertainment alternative. Satan says, Jesus, dazzle everyone. Put on a show. They'll be impressed. You'll make such a statement, Jesus. Do something entertaining. This says, what, what, where this leads is it sends the message to anybody that embraces this way that, Jesus, that God is on call and on demand. All, inter- all entertainment today, unless you, if, if you aren't aware, is on demand. It's on demand. No longer do you have to wait for your favorite program to come on at a certain time. It's all on demand. Am I right? This is the, entertain- this, this is the entertainment alternative that Satan is presenting to Jesus. Jesus, do something spectacular. Jesus, and, and, and when, if we embrace that way, if we start to do things that way, if we start to live for God that way, if, if we let that seep into the how of how we're living for God, it develops a relationship with God that my God is on call and he's on demand. He's like a butler that I can whistle to and he'll come whenever I need him. And when I don't need him, he's just... He's there when I need him. He's, it's, it's entertaining. It's impressive. And he's not really God. He's a God of your imagination. It's not the Jesus way. The third temptation that Satan presents to Jesus is he takes Jesus up to a high mountain. He says, Jesus, you can rule all of this. You can rule all the kingdoms of the earth. You can rule the whole world. All you have to do bow down to me, bow down to me, and worship me first. This was the temptation to slide into, now Jesus, Jesus, this was a temptation. If you're not, I'm going to say something very profound. If you're not tempted by it, it's not a temptation. (laughs) This is tempting, okay? It's tempting because this this is how Jesus is able to rule and reign without going to Calvary. Jesus knows he's got to have to go to Calvary. He knows he's got to die. And Satan is offering him an alternative way and saying, Jesus, we can get you to the top of the, we can get you to the top of the ladder here. You can rule the whole world. All you have to do is one simple thing. Bow down and worship me. This was the temptation for Jesus to skip the whole process and to slide into this bureaucracy of faceless leadership, conducting this, this was this where this leads is it leads him to a place where everything about him is remote and distant. He never has to get his hands dirty. He's able to skip the process. He's able to do it a different way, and this is the impersonal alternative. All of a sudden, everything Jesus was going to do, the way he was going to do it, it was going to be very personal. Everything we read about Jesus and and the way that he made his way to Calvary, everything about it was personal. There was nothing remote about it. There was nothing detached about it. He was right there in the flesh for every single step of the process. But here, Satan is offering him an alternative that is impersonal. He's saying, Jesus, you can skip all of that other stuff. You You can leapfrog over all those all those steps and all those pieces of the process. And what the adversary is actually saying and where this leads us, if we don't reject this way of doing things, where, the, where this leads us to is it leads us to a place where the adversary suggests and says, do what God would have you to do, but just do it on my terms. There are There are spirit-filled people of God that you've made a truce with the adversary. You've made some kind of pact, some kind of 
peace agreement with the adversary. And you've negotiated a peace that is in the same realm as that third temptation. Where the adversary has promised you, I won't make you through... I'm not going to come at you in that way. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. You can do everything that God wants you to do, but you're just going to do it on my terms. And if you accept that way, it may look right and feel right sometimes, but the adversary owns you. If Jesus would have succumbed to this temptation, Jesus would have ruled the world but he would have done it on Satan's terms, and the adversary would have owned him. And he wouldn't have ruled at all. It would all have been a house of cards. And for some, if you've been messing with the adversary, and you've made some kind of peace deal with the adversary, and you've got a negotiated peace agreement with the adversary, you need to beware and take stock of everything going on in your life, because it is a spiritual house of cards. Because the adversary will let you have a very long leash until he doesn't want you to anymore. And then he yanks you back. And on that day, you find out that you might be counted among those who said, Lord, Lord. But he never knew you because you didn't do it his way. You did it the adversary's way. You did it your way. He says to Jesus, rule and reign, but first bow down to me. It's not the Jesus way. And none of those scenarios that were presented to Jesus, none of those alternatives that Satan suggested to him in the wilderness are the way that Jesus does things. The adversary, hear me, the adversary will pull out all the stops to make sure you aren't following the way of Jesus. Because he doesn't want anyone to be like Jesus. I've come to tell you today, in the Holy Ghost, you can be like Jesus. You're going to have to recognize and reject some of the same things that the adversary threw towards Jesus. There's going to be things you have to reject and recognize and say, that's not the way I'm going to do it. That's not God's way. That's the world's way. That's not God's way. That's actually my way that's trying to masquerade as God's way. You're going to have to use spiritual wisdom and stay in alignment with God. But you can be like Jesus. The adversary is very subtle and very deceitful. And all of the alternatives that the adversary presents to you will have their selling points. I'm not trying to build them up in your hearing tonight, but I am trying to, to pull the curtain back and expose them for what they are. The adversary will say, think of all the ways that you could provide for people, all the needs you'd meet. Just speak to the rocks. They'll all have their selling point. Think of how God will be glorified and everyone will shout and be impressed. Jesus, just jump off of the pinnacle of the temple. So much good will come of it. It'll be okay. Think of how efficient this all can be, Jesus. You, can, you, can, you don't have to worry about finding that, that donkey to ride in on. You don't have to ride in. You don't have, to, you don't have to stand before Pilate. You won't have to have the crown of thorn pushed into your head. You won't have to endure the cat of nine tails and be whipped. You won't have to endure the cross. You won't have to. None of that will have to happen. Think of how efficient this could be, Jesus. You can still get to where you need to be and do what you need to do, but all you have to do is bow down to me. And they all seem to accomplish the what, but they all forsake the how. And the how is where we develop likeness. The how is where we start to be like Jesus. These things that Satan presents to us and that the world presents to us are subtle counterfeits of the real thing. We say it because it's a good example, but... The example that comes to mind is when they're training somebody in finance and banking and retail, and they're training somebody to, to detect counterfeit money. The way that they do it is they put you in so much, con they have you handle so much real money, authentic money, that when something fake comes along and when something counterfeit comes across your desk, you're able to feel it immediately. You're able to know immediately that it's counterfeit, it's not real and that it's not to be trusted. And alarms go off, and you don't accept what it is. And 
we've taught before, Bishop has taught before, I've taught before, others have preached before, that there's an epidemic in our world today of people that fabricate their own Jesus. It's the Jesus of their own imagination. It's the Jesus of their own desires. It's the Jesus of their religious upbringing, and it's not the Jesus of Scripture. No one is exempt from this. We all must be on guard for it. What I'm talking about is a Jesus who does everything exactly how I would do it. If all the, if all the, the ways that Jesus would do something match up with the ways that you would do something, guess what? I got bad news. <laughs> that's, not the, that's, not, that's not Jesus. That's the Jesus of your imagination. Because your flesh, you are not going to align up. All of your hows, all of your ways of doing things are not going to line up perfectly with the way that Jesus does things. There are go- Otherwise, we wouldn't have to repent. Otherwise, we wouldn't, we wouldn't need any teaching. We wouldn't ever have to repent. And we wouldn't ever have to have the Lord convict us about things and, and reshuffle and reorganize our life. We would just be able to cruise into eternity with no problem whatsoever. But when we get into contact, when the real you meets the real Jesus, there's things that can begin to happen, and you can start to be like him. I'm teaching tonight that there is a way that seems right. There is a way that seems right to a person. And discipleship, following Jesus, actively following him as a person of faith, trains you to know the difference between the real thing and a counterfeit way. When when the adversary presents something that's an alternative, you're able to remain on the straight and narrow path. There's a story I heard once about this blind man, and he'd been blind his whole life, and he walked everywhere, and this was years ago, he walked everywhere, and he either wore very thin shoes or he was barefoot, and he was able, as he walked, Brother Keith, he was able to walk around and navigate through his village, through his city, and even through the country uh, outside, of his, outside of his city. And one of the primary ways that he could tell where he was is by the texture of the surface of the ground under his feet. He was able to tell whether he was on a paved road, and he would basically more or less know where he was. He was able to feel the cobblestones of the outer streets and the side streets. And then he was able to start, he would feel the, the gravel and of, of some of the outer roads. And then he would feel the dirt roads and the paths and the, and the different things, that the paths that he would take and the ways that he would go. And there was a man that did that, and he was able to know where he was at any given time. And if we will follow after Jesus and we will walk with him and we will stay sensitive to the things of God, you will develop an awareness of where you are and what's going on around you and how God would do it. And you will be able to navigate through life successfully and you can be like Jesus. Let me give you the testimony of the apostles again as the musicians come. I started off tonight reading from several different eyewitness apostles that were all fundamentally saying the same thing. Jesus said it in John 13. Then we read a passage from Paul and a passage from Peter and a passage from John. I want to take the same approach and I want to read you the testimony of these individuals again. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Here's what the apostle Paul wrote. He says, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, another Jesus, if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom you have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, Paul says, I'm fearful that you may put up with it. You may put up with it. 1 John, the Apostle John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The Apostle John, uh, Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, he says, But there are also false prophets among the people, even as 
there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. It's not enough simply to recognize and reject the alternatives that the adversary presents, but we must actively follow Jesus Christ. It wasn't enough, hear me, it wasn't enough for Jesus to be there in Matthew chapter 4 and to be in the wilderness and to have the adversary come to him and say, Jesus, why don't you turn the stones into bread? Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. Have you not read? The word of God says this. Satan comes and says, Jesus, why don't you jump off the pinnacle of the temple? Jesus says, Satan, I'm not going to do it that way either. That's not how I do things. Have you never read? The word of God says this. Satan comes a third time. He says, Jesus, why don't you just step into your role as the king of the whole world right now and rule all the kingdoms of the world? All you have to do is bow down to me and worship me. Jesus says, no, 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 Satan, adversary, I'm, that's not how I do things. That's not what I'm going to do. It wouldn't have been enough for Jesus to have those encounters with the adversary in the wilderness and to reject the adversary's alternative ways of doing things and then never step into the fullness of everything God had for him. Hear me right now. We must have an active and living relationship with him. We must be pursuing the will of God for our life. It's not, it's, it is not sufficient to simply say, I'm not going to be like the world. Jesus would not have the victory if he had stopped in Matthew chapter 4 and said, you know what? I rejected all those temptations. I've decided I'm not doing it that way. Jesus' victory came when he left the wilderness and said, it's time to get on the move. It's time to do it God's way. It's time to follow after the will of my heavenly father every day, every week, every town that I go to, every step that I take, every move that I make. I'm going to follow after the will of my heavenly father. It's not enough just to reject the counterfeits. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Apostle Paul writes to young Timothy. He says, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. He says, instead, train yourself to be godly. Now that presents a challenge. Because no longer is it sufficient to just reject the ways of the world and to identify the alternatives of the adversary that would be destructive to us and call those out and stamp a victory on it and just sit tight. But Paul writes to Timothy and says, don't waste your time arguing over nonsense, getting distracted by the different things that are going on. Simply reject them and train yourself to be godly. You can be like Jesus. And that's the call I'm making and teaching tonight. It's time to drop everything and follow Jesus. It's time to really follow him. I'm not here to suggest that you're not, but you know where you are, and I'm here to say it's time to really follow him. Today is the day, and each one of us must be training, training yourself, training yourself to be godly, ever training yourself, and you can be like Jesus. Stand with me if you would. I... I don't have an altar call today. Instead, what the Holy Ghost has given me is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. It says this, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I was seeking after the Lord this morning saying, Lord, what would you have us to do tonight? And the Lord led me to this scripture. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. 
what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a few more remarks that will hopefully challenge you, stir you up, spur you onward, and then I'm going to stop. <laughs> we might pray for a little while. We'll see what, how we want to respond. This is an invitation that still stands. Jesus says, follow me. The invitation still stands. Someone's been saying, you've, been, you've had the same attitude, you've had the same, the same response as Moses. Who am I that I should go up to Pharaoh? Jeremiah says, I'm so young. I have all this time. Why do I need to get serious about living for the Lord right now? Some even in this room have said, you know what, I'm, I'm so busy. So busy. Some of you are busy in your minds right now. You're in the room, but you're not really in the room. You're busy in your minds. You need to hear the word of the Lord. There needs, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, it knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And I pray right now that God's word would pierce beyond whatever noise is going on in your life. This life can get so noisy, and there's so many, there's, there's individuals in the room right now. You're tired, you're busy, you're overwhelmed, you're over-obligated, and you're wondering. I, there's a part of you that says, I, I accept it, Brother Dustin. I hear, I hear what you're saying, and there's a part of me that I feel the Lord pulling after me. But there's so much going on in my life right now. There's so many obligations I have. There's so much busyness. There's so much noise. I pray that the word of God would pierce beyond all of that right now. Can we lift up our hands in this place right now? How much does your life resemble Jesus? Would you just start to pray for a few moments right now? Say, God, I need you to deal with me. I, I, I want to be like you. I want to do things how you do them. I want my way to be yielded and surrendered to your way, Jesus. Come on, would someone lift up their voice in the house of the Lord right now and begin to pray and begin to say, Lord, I want to do it your way. I want to do it your way, Jesus. I know that the time's drawing short. I know that the days are getting short and that we don't have much time left. I've, I've got to really follow you. I must really follow you, Jesus. Oh, come on, let's turn this place into a room, a, a prayer room right now, a, a room where there's an atmosphere of prayer that's going up. Feel, come on, you need to feel at liberty right now to step out of where you are. The master is in this place right now, and he's still, that, that invitation still stands. He's calling, he's pulling after someone's heart right now.